Attention audience. That's right. End of the week. You know what day it is. Eric, you want to tell them? <gasps> it's Friday. Friday. Friday Films. Did it, it. That's right. Friday Films. <laughs> We're back. Again, Eric and Jordan. Uh, Bond in review. Still ongoing going strong like, going strong it's like it's never going to end which is the way a good movie should be That's in my right. opinion but um this week we have a new bond indeed live and let die live and let die, die. yeah I, i'll be honest when i read the title <laughs> and put the disc in and like hit play on the movie it never dawned on me that that was the song <laughs> until i started hearing it i'm like Oh, I feel stupid now. Uh, then, like, throughout the whole movie, I'm like, stop reminding me, stop reminding me, stop reminding me. Uh, but with that said, Eric, I know you're excited to introduce yes. our new Bond for this film. Absolutely. Live and Let Die, starring Sir Roger Moore. Good old Roggy. Roggy, they like to call him back in the day, you know. Raji M, if you will. Raji M. Raji M. We'll be with Roger Moore for several more movies to come. I think, if I'm not mistaken, I think he's done more Bonds than anybody else. I think he's, I think he was in it longer than anyone else, if I if I remember correctly. But we'll we'll have to. I thought he had the the long run. Yeah, we'll have to fact check that once we once once we get to the end. But I'm pretty sure he's 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 the longest running Bond. So. Um, and a big fan favorite among a lot of Bond fans. People really love mm-hmm. Roger Moore. So I'm excited to see where he ends up ranking on our list of Bonds when it's all said and done. As long as he's not at the bottom. I know. Well, I think we'll be okay. Well, George Lazenby's, I mean, he was fine, but with him only doing one Bond, I, I, I'd be surprised if he wasn't at the bottom. <laughs> so we'll yeah, see. We'll see. Um, we just didn't get a chance to, to, to get to know old George, really. Um, no. But yeah, yeah, starring Roger Moore. So Live and Let Die, released June 27th, 1973. And boy, howdy, in this movie, you this is a 70s movie. Yes, it was. The way they dress, the yes. music, mm-hmm. everything is, is full 1970s. Runtime of two hours and one minute. Um, directed by yet again, Guy Hamilton. I believe he'll com- come back into a couple more of the Roger Moore movies, if I remember correctly. Um, s- starring Sir Roger Moore, but also this is where we start seeing actors in Bond movies that you'll continue to see from other things. Starring Roger Moore. We know him from James Bond. We know him from, from The Saint as well as a TV show he did in the 60s. Um, before he did Bond, but Yafit Koto, who played um, Kanaga, the big bad, um, mm-hmm. also in Alien, also in The Running Man with Arnold Schwarzenegger, and playing the beautiful young solitaire is none other than Jane Seymour herself from, um, oh God, I already drew a blank on it, um, not helping you. No, my God. 
Dr. Quinn Medicine Woman. Took me a second to get there. Jane Seymour of Dr. Quinn Medicine Woman and Selling Jewelry over the last 10 years fame. Yeah, as I say, um, I didn't even recognize her watching this movie. Yeah, like, also, I mean, the name clicks a bell, but yeah, I don't like... Also, the uh, the mom from, from Wedding Crashers. Yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah. I love me some Jane Seymour, man. And seeing seeing a young Jane, Jane Seymour was, was... I remembered her being in this movie, but it, it surprised me nonetheless to see her. Um, budget of seven million dollars, so pretty much the exact same budget as the last Bond, if 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 memory serves. Um, but Sean Connery was offered, you know, to come back for this movie. He was offered mm-hmm. five point five million dollars to come back for this film. Wow, well, and the budget it, is seven, and turned it down. So I'm trying to imagine what this movie would have been like, or what the budget could have been had Sean Connery taken the five and a half million dollars. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't I know mean, if it would have made the movie better or worse. Uh, yeah, yeah, we'll. <laughs> that's that. When I saw that fact and I saw the budget, I was like, I wonder if they were like going to have a bigger budget and then trimmed it down because they didn't have to pay Roger Moore as much. Or what? But making yeah. a movie for one and a half million dollars and paying Sean Connery five times the budget of the movie, the, the rest of the budget, that would be insane. Yeah, so, I, I kind of would be curious to see what would have happened with that. Yeah, because after yeah. the last couple of bonds, I mean, <clears throat> at one point, what do you say, like one and a half or one million, whatever? Yeah, I mean, either way, if if the budget was seven million dollars flat and they paid you Sean Connery five point five million dollars yeah, so that would have left one you know that would have yeah, 1. left 1.5 million dollars left which would have been in between the budgets for dr no and for Marshall with love well you know those were both actually good movies or, or better movies in a way so. they, yeah they were so i'm not saying it couldn't have been done but with you know stunts and stuff getting bigger and bigger it would have been a much more simpler uh, film if you will yeah um, they'd have to rely more on the story which yeah. is or or the the little things, which is what from Russia with love did for the longest time. Yep. But we will, uh, we will dig into that as we move along. Good, sir. Yeah. I mean, I'm excited to see how, uh, this movie unfolds. We, we pretty much start with your typical gun intro and your your traditional gun barrel intro. I don't think anything's changed with this one. Well, there are a few different differences. I know it's in color and I know he doesn't like knee down or anything like that. And he also is not the first time he's not wearing a hat. Oh, that's right. The hat thing. Yeah. I forgot what that thing. There's a few differences that they will go on, go on that will continue on, but this will basically be the same style of intro we see for pretty much every other bond movie going forward. No hat, no kneeling down color, you know, Mm. the works. Um, so other than that, that's that's pretty much it. But we uh, after the intro, we cut to the UN in New York City. Mm-hmm. The uh, UK ambassador is there listening to uh, Kananga giving a speech. Um, <clears throat> there's a man in the booth doing trans, you know, translating it for the rest of the ambassadors. And all of a sudden, a hand comes in and unplugs the UK ambassadors, you know headset and plugs in its own thing and it plays a sound that just kills the ambassador dead so which i loved because the box that he used literally looked like uh 
like a TNT box. Yeah, you just yeah. like you twist and you push. So like I'm like, well, did he just use TNT to blow up the guy the inside of the guy's ear? That's I'm like, what right. just happened? Right, just just killed the man with sound, which is mm-hmm. possible. <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, I'm not saying it's impossible. It yeah. Just looked funny. Exactly. Then we cut to the great city of New Orleans, New Orleans, I kinda, Louisiana. I kind of like this scene too. Me like too. I, once I, I saw this scene, I'm like, all right, we're off to a good start. Yeah, I do like the I do like the whole New Orleans um, culture throughout the movie. But you know, I mean, I do have a family from Louisiana, so I'm mm-hmm. I, I'm used to that, and I like that I like that that style as well. But anyway, we cut to New Orleans during a funeral procession, and they know how to do funeral proces- processions in New Orleans. Um, mm-hmm. you got a big band playing, you got a whole crowd of people, you got the pallbearers carrying the coffin. There's a man watching from the corner. A gentleman walks up behind him and, you know, at, you know, the man asks, I wonder whose funeral is, whose funeral it is. And the guy behind him goes, it's yours and stabs him. And he falls mm-hmm. into the middle of the street. The funeral procession continues to walk over him. The pallbearers stop, drop the coffin over his body, pick it up and his body disappears. In, presumably in the coffin. <laughs> yes, yes, presumably. <laughs> One would assume. <laughs> and then the best thing happens. Then it just turns into a party. Yep, absolutely. Everyone just starts dancing. They're like throwing uh, party favors and stuff all over the place. Mm-hmm. It's almost like they do a wardrobe change. People just come out of nowhere. And then like the funeral guys just kind of blend into the crowd and everyone just disappears. It becomes Mardi Gras. Which point. I have to say, uh, although this scene was really, really cool, if a, if a spy or someone or whoever is going to be watching like like on a corner watching different places like i don't i, I just feel like someone would be a little bit more noticeable about just a funeral out of the blue coming around the corner mm-hmm. like i don't know i just i think it'd be a little bit more suspicious about that <laughs> well new orleans is a little <clears throat> bit of a crazy town so you kind of get used to weird shit happening on the streets oh okay well so, maybe that's it then i bought that hook line and sinker um, but then we cut to Saint Monique, um, which is a fictional island. You know, this is one of the one of only two times in I think Bond movies that they use a fictional location. Most of them are based in real life, but this is a fictional mm-hmm. area um, where a man is being tribally sacrificed using a snake. You know, poisoned snake bites him, and he and he and he dies while he's tied to a pole. Um, and then from this scene, we cut into. The intro sequence. Yes. Which had a lot of fire in it. It did. A lot that of That was like the main note I had. Fire a lot of fire, a lot of skulls, relatively high intensity. Um great song, Live mm-hmm. and Let Die by Paul McCartney. I mean, props. Um so they they, they nailed the song. So this this intro sequence as well, like from a visual aspect, I didn't really like as much as previous ones. I, I didn't use it either. But the song I really enjoyed, and I think the song fit the vibe of the movie very well. That that early nineteen seventies. That I mean, the the whole movie, and we'll get we'll dig into it more. But the whole movie, you know, covers a lot of different like black like seventies black exploitation films. Mm-hmm. You know, like Shaft and that kind of thing. Um, it's kind of, it seems kind of to be the James Bond take on a black exploitation film. Um, so the song, the live and let die fit that, 
early 70s vibe and kind of built the culture of the movie really well or led into the culture of the movie really really well um or so i thought and they continue i don't know if you noticed but they continue to use bits and pieces of that song in different ways like orchestral oh ways, yeah like through, throughout, throughout the, the movie. movie and i mm-hmm. think the way they use those bits and pieces throughout the movie worked very well for the sequences they were chosen for yes you i know? agree with that yeah yeah so it, we we got to see throughout the movie you got to see flashes of of good use of the bond song the bond theme and good uses of the um the intro theme um in 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 various forms and i think it was done very very well so as far as intro songs goes this one's pretty high up there on the list but as far as the intro sequence as a whole yeah I, not I so to much. say no the visual side of it uh was a little weird i mean they they did the classic play on the silhouettes which i thought were pretty good with the way they blended them in yeah and like the fire seemed in my opinion to fit with that semi-aggressive takeoff to the movie mm-hmm. because like the whole new york scene was kind of like slow intro yeah but then once you got to the funeral slash party scene in new orleans and then even like this weird sacrifice ritual thing they had going on in the caribbean um it seemed to like pick up pace real real quick so that intro was great with the fire and then like you said the song i think was really really good but some of just like the regular video like still pictures and videos of just like close-ups of, the, of mm-hmm. like the girls and stuff that they use in that i i just i don't know i didn't have that feel that the visual effect really matched the audio and the yeah. pace of everything so it was it wasn't offset yeah I do uh, it was kind of neat that. as far as you know different tricks and stuff they used um as i know as the future intros come along we'll start seeing more special effects and all mm-hmm take off but as far as i'm aware i don't think there was really anything special in this intro on the visual side There's other than that, like the play yeah. of fire and all the kind of fit with the pace a nothing that stuck out to me the song was really the no. the, the, the making was the biggest the thing intro. Mm-hmm. yeah um from the intro sequence we open to bond in bed with a woman there's a knock at his door he goes to find out who it is and it is none other than m himself m comes mm-hmm. in Shares information that three of their agents have been killed in the last 24 hours. These are the three gentlemen we saw killed before the intro. Um, they're having a conversation back and forth. Bond uses a cappuccino machine to make coffee. M makes a little quip about what else does it do? You know, kind of like a little gadget joke. Yeah, um, I did laugh at that. Exactly. Money Penny enters enters Bond's house, and while the woman that Bond was in bed with is trying to sneak away, um, and goes you know, hides in a closet. Um, mm-hmm. <clears throat> I love this scene because Money Penny sees it and was like, all right, cool. And then there's a little conversation back and forth. They basically tell Bond he's got to go into New York. He's going to rendezvous with rendezvous, rendezvous with Felix Leiter. Going to get this investigation started as far as, you know, what's, you know, what's happening with these agents. Mm-hmm. Um, while they're leaving, M goes to, you know, wants to go to the closet to get his coat. Money Penny stops him. Because the woman's hiding in there, goes yep, in the closet and gets the coat for M. Um, and I do love M leaves and Bond walks up to Money Penny and kind of basically, you know, thank you for covering me type yeah. deal. Um, which I, I enjoyed that little bit of back and forth. 
because um, I think Money Penny said something to him in Italian, which is essentially the uh, the girl was like a, she was an Italian from an Italian spy or something yeah, from his last yeah. mission or something like that. Yeah. Um, but I enjoyed that little back and forth. I thought that was cute. M and Money Penny proceed to leave, and Bond, you know, goes to the closet, tells the girl it's all fine. Um, oh yeah, during this time, M did give Bond a uh, his his gadget of the film, which is a mag- magnetic watch. Yeah, yeah, because that's what uh, Money Penny brings when she shows exactly. up. that it, and his passports. You, you activate it, and it'll pull. You can magnetize anything that it pulls out from a, from a from a great distance. So what is strong Bond, as well. exactly? So what does Bond proceed to do with this magnet, this glorious gadget he was given? He was gifted to by M via Money Penny. He proceeds to like a pimp use the magnetism to unzip the back of the girl's dress. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I thought that was kind of neat. It was a neat little trick that exactly. they, they did. Yeah. Um, and last, you know, last minute sexy time ensues before they leave. Uh, Bond arrives in New York's in New York city. And there's a little flight sequence before this of um, tarot cards being read. And they're, you know, a woman's voice is heard kind of predicting Bond's movements. You know, a man's mm-hmm. leaving. He's, He's fought, he's 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 crossing a you know a great body of water you know he's bringing death and destruction you know all all of these signals of of Bond entering the country basically um, so Bond arrives in New York and he's picked up by a car um, which I, I'm sure you saw this for Spy Time where he he compared the the tag on the car to the tag on his luggage to make yes. sure it was the right car yeah. yeah I did I did see that I thought that was kind of because I, I put a little note on there. Um, some of the little spy crafts that are in this uh, movie, uh, and I'll pick up one as we go through, uh, which are some of the things that I enjoyed about this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and like I said, I'll get into more of them, but that one was cool because it was a very sly, like I saw him kind of look at the tag. and I, 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 At first I didn't catch it. I thought he was looking at like a ticket stuff or something. Yeah. Like, Wait a minute. Those numbers match, and there's no reason it should be on the back of that plate. So I'm like, hmm. Yep, um, I did enjoy that. Um, yeah, so I, I did enjoy with uh, the whole cab thing and him getting in and taking a ride with good old Charlie. Taking a ride, and he gets a call talking to good old Felix, Agent mm-hmm. Girly Glasses himself, his CIA contact. Since he's in, he's in America, he's operating, of course, with old Felix. Um, so they have a little conversation back and forth. Um, meanwhile. Cruella DeVille's car pulls up next to him. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's what I thought when I saw that, too. A.K.A. the Pimp Mobile. And they, they call it the Pimp Mobile later on in this movie. <laughs> they do, yes. Um, with a heavyset black gentleman who proceeds to be lining up his side, like his side mirror as a gun. He's lining it up with Bond's driver and fires the gun and then pulls off. Takes a few moments for Bond to realize that his driver's dead until his driver starts crashing into everything. Yeah. Um, Bond, you know, takes the wheel, kind of gets everything back on course, and then the car ends up crashing anyway. After the crash, Bond reports this incident to Felix while he's sitting there with the police. Um, meanwhile, Felix was tag- tracking Kanago, this gentleman they believe's behind the the assassinations. Um, tracking Kanaga, tra- you know, Kanaga's always there. He's got his posse. He's got his girl. Mm-hmm. They know he's in here. Kanaga proceeds to cut out on a tape recorder to kind of demonstrate a fake meeting to kind of throw Felix off, which I thought was really cool. He knew yeah, they were listening, so he was the evil side of spycraft. Right exactly. Here. He was. He would, he played a fake tape to make them think that this was what was happening, whereas reality, he was orchestrating other things behind the scenes, sending his men off to do other things. 
Yep. And um, then proceeding to, uh, I guess, go and like change and kind of go in disguise type deal. Exactly. Exactly. Um, after the conversation with Felix, Bond proceeds to track down the pimp mobile, if you will, to the best name of a voodoo shop ever, by the way. He tracks. I didn't catch he it. Tracks I knew it was a voodoo shop, but the, I didn't read the name of it. To the occult voodoo shop. Occult. Nice. Awesome name for a voodoo shop. I'm a big fan of puns, and this one hit me hard. Um, <laughs> While investigating the pimpmobile, cronies from the meeting um, come down an elevator and take another car out. Bond proceeds to follow this vehicle in a cab all along. And I, I really, I did enjoy this scene because this is the first time you see a network working in such sync against Bond, you know? I Yeah, I, I enjoyed that too. Yeah, uh, we're literally like... Kanaga has agents everywhere throughout the city. Um, so, you know, Bond leaves in the cab following this. There's a guy across the corner who's getting, you know, relaying the location. There's every corner they pass, no. there's somebody that relays the location. Um, they're basically leading Bond where they want him to go. So, I want to see if you picked up on this, because uh, we can get, it on to, get into this a little bit more as the movie goes on. But when he first leaves, the first car that follows him... Uh, we'll find out in a, in a couple extra scenes. Is um, is I don't know. I think he's playing like a double agent or something. I, I don't know how to explain it. But like when you watch <clears throat> the network, yeah, no. It's, I, I, I at first I was confused on if the network was for like the CIA and the good side or good guys, or if the network was for um, Kanaga and the bad guy side because yeah. it seemed like they were all talking. I'm like, okay, well these are all the bad guys, and then but you then, see that other guy later on. Yeah, yeah you see. I him think in the, that and was kind of like he was in on the conversation. Also, I'm yeah. like, all right, maybe he was a cover or something. Like, I was kind of confused. The that scene, scene was intentional i think that guy was reporting back to felix but the way they cut the scene was to make him seem like the bad guy because all of these characters are 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 black and like mm -hmm. i said at the beginning of the movie this 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 movie leans kind of heavily into the black exploitation genre so i think once we see that this is this is the bad guy the way they set it up for the next several scenes was like you know every black person that they focus on that's a bad guy and then they kind of flip the script later on when they realize this guy is actually a good guy, you know, and that's, okay. that's the way I took that was, was that was intentional editing to try and make you think everyone's a bad guy, but this guy never was a bad guy. He was, okay. he was and that makes CIA. more sense. Cause I know one of the guys in this cutscenes, um, we end up seeing later on in the movie too. Mm. So like, that's where I start getting confused. I'm like, okay. Cause when you see one of the other guys, you're like, Oh, well, He's definitely one of the bad guys. Yeah, yeah. So, like, the scene kind of got confusing at first with the way they portrayed it and the editing side of it. Yeah, I think um, that's just kind of like, that's part of that that difference in style between the 1970s, specifically like the black exploitation films. There, there's mm -hmm. that kind of style to them. That's that's very different to to modern cinema. Um, <clears throat> so I'm not surprised at kind of getting in it, kind of getting mixed up. Um, but anyway, Bond's being followed. Um, there are white people jokes thrown out left and right <laughs> from, yeah. from all of the, from throughout this whole scene. You get a honky on your tail, you know. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. Classic stuff. Um, bon enters the Filet of Soul bar and uh, proceeds to sit in a booth 
where the wall rotates and he is taken to meet with Mr. Big, mm-hmm. who is the the orchestrator, the the big bad, the big gangster of New York City. You know, he's if you're if you're a black man in New York City, you you work for Mr. Big. You know, he's he's the man that takes care of you. Uh, but not before he meets Miss Solitaire, Jane Seymour herself, mm-hmm. um, who was sitting there, pl- you know, playing with the tarot cards. And Bond jumps in and, 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 and pulls the lover's card, which is the indication that they will be lovers in the future. And that'll come yes. back. That'll come back later. And Miss Solitaire is very caught off guard by this because she you know, believes in this power that she has to predict the future and. It kind of throws her off because she couldn't possibly believe that they would be lovers. Um, Bond goes in to meet Mr. Big and meets a man with a very big hook for a hand. Very powerful hook for a hand as he crushes many, many things with it throughout this film. Yeah, I was say, what was his name? Because I just kept calling him uh, or referred to him as Claw. In uh, my yeah, names. so did I. I don't remember his name. Or my name is um, So he'll, he will henceforth before be referred to as Claw for the Sweet rest of this Claw film. Um, Mr. Big has no time for Bond. Mr. Big comes out and he's like, he's like, this is the man that was following you. Take him, you know, take, take him outside and finish him off. You know, mm-hmm. no time, no conversation, whatever. Immediately gives orders to kill Bond. Um, Bond is taken outside and takes out the goons, but is stopped by the gentleman we mentioned earlier, the other black gentleman who yeah, happens, was following him in the car, who was following him in the car, who happens to be a fellow CIA agent. Mm-hmm. who rescues Bond. So I, I liked uh, while he was kind of talking to Solitaire, some of the little uh, card jokes while he was waiting for Biggs, mm-hmm. like while he was sitting there kind of playing with the tarot cards and she was flipping them over. And he was like, the, I don't know if you call it that, but when uh, she was flipping over the different cards, he's like, oh, is that you? And it was like pointing to like the queen, uh, something queen. The priestess. Or something. Priestess, that's yeah. what I couldn't remember exactly what yeah, it was. And it, but it then was, he was like, am I in there? And she flips over a card and it's like, it says the fool. Like, yeah, you're right there. Yeah, those those cards were intentionally designed to look like the characters. Like the priestess card was designed to look like Jane Seymour. The fool card designed mm-hmm. to look like Roger Moore. So that actual deck of cards, like you can buy like a replica deck of those cards. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, the, the individual tarot cards were designed specifically to resemble the characters that they were... Um, yeah. used for and I loved how when like he, she's like picking any card and he picks the lover's card instead of like the death card or whatever yeah. Yeah. and then he plays on that like throughout the movie which mm-hmm. is which is great absolutely um, so yeah I thought that, that scene there I mean although pointless for Bomb to go into the room and the guys would pretty much just kick him straight out and all uh, I thought it was a neat little playback between uh, Bond and Solitaire. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that was like the, the, the best thing I enjoyed about this whole scene because it just seemed a little outplayed uh, as far as timing, like the way it kind of pushed Bond essentially into the bar, into the back room, and back outside, it just—I don't know—it just seemed like it took a little too it, long to it me. It was a bit unnecessary. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, the, yeah. The, between Bond and, the, and Solitaire was the best part of that whole. Yeah, scene. that was the only point of the scene. Everything else was was a very long version of getting to them meeting, um, because they become a big part of this movie together later on. Mm-hmm. Um, after. After the CIA gentleman rescues Mr. Bond, um, we basically cut to Bond in his hotel in in New Orleans. He's checking into his hotel, and he's told that Mrs. Bond has been waiting for him, and they've changed their room into a villa. 
Um, he proceeds to go. Was up, it New Orleans? Uh, I'm, I'm assuming because this whole I movie bounces San between Monique or whatever. I thought it was. It might be yeah, San I thought Monique. it was San Monique in, in the Caribbean. Yeah, the rest of this movie backs bounces be- between San Monique and New Orleans. It, yeah, they no, go I, back I and think, forth. So it might you might be right. It might be San Monique. I think it was um, in San Monique because that's where the um, when he checks into the hotel, they're doing that weird. Uh, oh, the Voodoo Festival. Yeah, Voodoo yeah, Festival yeah. outside and all. And that guy was, um, yeah, Baron, the main guy um, in that festival was in Saint-Monique. Baron Simidus? I'll remember it later. We'll get to him eventually. Um, <clears throat> but Bond arrives at the hotel, which is in Saint-Monique. I do agree with you on that. Um, and they switched his room to a villa. He goes to his room and he's using various gadgets from his toiletry bag to investigate the room, finding surveillance which I equipment. Was really cool. Yeah, yeah, I, I yeah. I when he went and well. grabbed the brush, and I'm like, oh, cool. He's getting his bathroom stuff together, and he like clicks open the brush, and like next thing you know, he's like using it to like track to see what's um, mm-hmm. cameras and listening devices to see what's around the room. And I'm like, hmm, that's kind of neat. Um, that is one thing I will say I liked about this 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 movie, and we'll go and get it out of the way. This movie had a gross absence of cue, mm-hmm. um, which I did not like. But I did like the the simple use of what I'm going to call the standard issue gadgets, the things that you would assume every spy mm-hmm. had. You know, the toiletry kit so you can investigate stuff. You know, yeah, yeah, the watch, the watch, yeah, you know, the, the the standard issue stuff. Um, I, I I did kind of in, enjoy that. There was nothing mm-hmm. quote unquote special. Um, no. There was no and MacGuffin th- gadget, if you will. And and the way they used the gadgets throughout the movie, I think, was done at a, a good pace. It wasn't like you like you said super gadgets, but nothing that was u- overused throughout the movie. Yeah. Even the magnetic watch was only used enough throughout the movie to make it worth being in the movie without being like a super agent gadget. Yeah, it like, was used as necessary. It was perfect. It was perfect. Um, um, so we cut to Bond taking a bath. In his once he deems the room, you know he knows he knows he's being spied on. He's he's accepted that fact, so he takes a bath. Um, while he's taking a bath, someone sneaks a snake through the window into his bathroom. Snakes. There's a couple cuts back and forth between Bond and the snake, Bond and the snake, and then room service arrives at Bond's door, and it's the man from the pimpmobile earlier who will mm-hmm. henceforth henceforth be known as Whisper. Because yes. the man speaks very softly to the point Bond asks him to repeat things several, several times. Mm-hmm. Uh, Bond goes back into the bathroom to continue his his shave, and the snake's creeping up on him. And creeping up on him. And creeping up on him. <laughs> and getting closer and closer. And he's about to bite Bond's foot when all of a sudden Bond looks in the mirror and sees him, whips around and takes that snake out with the hairspray flamethrower. Gotta love mm-hmm. it. And I love how, uh, actually, I don't even think it was hairspray. I think it was like aftershave or something. Either way. (laughs) Because like he had like, he had the can and he also was trying to light his cigar. Yeah. And I think he used the edge of the cigar to light the aerosol can. But then like after that, he like sprayed a little bit, like kind of like dabbed it on his like neck and stuff. Like it was aftershave or something. Like I don't know exactly what it was, but it was an awesome scene because he was just like, what snake? (laughs) After Bond. I'll teach you. After Bond takes out the snake, we see a gun barrel enter Bond's room. That t- traditional pose that we saw originally from Dr. No. Yes, Dr. No was the first time we saw that one. Um, the yeah, gun barrel so. pokes inside the door. 
Bond disarms it, and it's discovered to be Rosie Carver, a CIA agent, CIA agent um, as well, you know, who's been working mm-hmm. with, with, with Lighter and was stationed down in San Monique. Um, she enters his room to check on Bond. She's CIA, but she's a rookie. This is her second, her, her second, yep. second assignment, and her first one was the man that died in New Orleans. Um, and I mean, it shows through the next couple scenes too. Like you start to question if she really is oh, yeah. CIA or oh, not. Yeah. You really question if she's CIA or not. Um, but she's she's a rookie, so Bond attempts to seduce her, and I love her response here with, "Felix told me this would happen." So that's why I got separate rooms. <laughs> yes. Um, which I thought that which, was a cute little quip. Mm-hmm. Um, she proceeds, proceeds to walk into a room and there's a voodoo hat on her bed and she freaks out. That is a sign that they know and they are on to them. And this is not mm-hmm. to be messed with. Um, but she doesn't want to be left alone. So there's our second implied second time of the mm-hmm. film. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and I like how... Uh, there's that scene where she goes into the bathroom to get cleaned up and the snake's still just chilling on the ground and she like yeah. freaks out about that too. Exactly. Um, I forget what he said. Some, he made some comment about going in with a mongoose or something. Like I can't remember. Yeah, what, I, but I, I laughed yeah. when I heard it. I, my apologies. I, I should have told you to go in with a mongoose. Yeah. 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 And I, I liked his little quirks in this movie or the little quips or whatever. He had. They were very subtle and they, they fit yes. the, they fit Roger Moore's portrayal good mm-hmm. like this mm-hmm. is one one moment where I, I we'll touch on this a little bit and we'll dig into it a little bit more later but i like that roger moore was very much his own bond it wasn't like yes it wasn't like george lazenby where george lazenby was obviously trying to mimic sean connery mm-hmm. roger moore was being his own character which which i did enjoy um but in the morning bond receives a a tarot card along with his lunch um him and and uh rosie then proceed to go down to the go down to the docks where they want to rent a fishing boat there's all of these gentlemen you know trying to cash in on tours being like hey you want to go catch some fish let's go let's go Mm -hmm. let's go bond picks the one man who's currently sleeping at his post and be like this one looks good with the laziest captain ever so they hop on boat. They go, you know, they're, they're going out to sea. Rosie wants to go downstairs to change and discovers hidden communications equipment and freaks and out. Gun. And a gun proceeds to pull a gun on the captain who, when she comes above deck, looks like he's about to strangle James Bond and finds out this is none other than Quirrell himself. Yes, I, I liked how ladies he and gentlemen, there. he's not dead. <laughs> yeah granted yeah. this is a completely new bond so completely new universe we'll call it but quirrell hasn't been seen since dr no when he got toasted by the quote-unquote dragon quirrell yeah. the riverboat captain is back and i really enjoyed that um yeah i like how they, well, they called him quirrell jr i'm like hmm i don't really know if there's a connection yeah. there now I'll, but i'll, I'll get into it. it in the uh in trivia time but like the order of the books like this book was like before Dr. No. Uh, okay. Or like it was supposed to take place before Dr. No. So it's kind of an interesting back and forth here. Um, but anyway, Quirrell's uh, not dead. Then we cut to a scene um, of Smith Solitaire predicting Bond's moves with Tarot again. Um, we find out with, she's in the room with Kanaga. They're talking back and forth. 
she pulls the the uh i can't remember what card she pulls but she says it's the death card it's a lover's card it's again. a lover's card again yeah yeah and, as i said it plays influence throughout yeah, the movie but she tells kanaga it's the it's the death card so she's mm-hmm. we see that she's already doubting things she's lying to her em, em, employer um kanaga references well rosie knows what to do so now we know rosie is, is, in, on is, it, is yeah. in on it rosie's a double agent rosie's working for kanaga um but as they're going to investigate the uh the hillside site rosie's leading them to her she says you know let's go this way not up the hill and it seems that bond's mm. on to her by inconsistent information but bond's kind of following along so they go down they have have a little bit a little sexy time moment by the creek and bond reveals that he is on to her and proceeds to interrogate yep. her um, she runs away after seeing a voodoo doll um, in the forest and continues to run with Bond chasing her, but not before one of the voodoo dolls is, happens to be a gun as well and shoots her. Yep, a little uh, spy camera gun exactly. turret thing in the voodoo. Um, Kanaga's organization, and this goes back to the New York scene, they know what is going on on their turf, everything that's going oh, yeah. on on their turf. Oh, There's yeah. surveillance everywhere. Like anytime Bond's on the, in this area, he's always on camera. The bad guys always know where he mm-hmm. is. Um, I, get, I give him props to that, especially like, and you know this from the very beginning, when you first see him in his office and he's going through this like hidden compartment trap door with the audio going to kind of cover his escape. <clears throat> and like you said, the, the network of... Um, eyes in, mm-hmm. in new york as he's going through and even on this island with all the little voodoo dolls which are supposed to scare people away with the cameras and all in them um all that shows that he he knows yeah. he knows what's going on he knows how to run the operation and it kind of shows another side to him yeah, which very really well cool. connected um then we cut to kanaga who is berating miss solitaire for her her failings you know we th- you know thought you saw that you, you saw the death card what if that's the case why is mr bond still alive um she tr- proceeds to fumble over excuses saying that you know i assumed it was the death you know it, it, i may have misinterpreted it as the death of yeah. rosie you know trying to, well, trying was, to cover yeah, up she's like things. you i saw death you didn't specify whose death it was exactly exactly yeah. um during this time, Bond is paragliding off the back of Quirrell's boat to kind of get a better look at Solitaire's mansion. Um, he proceeds to disconnect himself to kind of land on, <coughs> excuse me, land, land on the the uh, the ridge line, but not before unnecessarily, unceremoniously <laughs> kicking a man off the side of a cliff. He was in his way. He was in his landing. He center. was just. Didn't know. Didn't even know Bond was there. Bond could have landed, you know, off to the side and just snuck around. No, Bond has to kick this man off the cliff. <laughs> Deadline. <laughs> so, uh, Bond quick changes, which I really enjoyed this scene. Basically, you know, pull, you know, the 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 quick release pants. He turns his jacket around. He's wearing yeah. a completely different outfit, which I, I actually really really like that. Um, to the point that it, it was so smooth, I didn't really notice it at first until he was putting on the jacket. I noticed it was a different color, and I was like, hold on a minute. And I rewound, and I was like, oh, cool, that's kind of neat. That quick change spy outfit, mm-hmm. which I don't know why it was necessary, but it was cool. <laughs> I, I mean, when, when you have the gadgets, you might as well use them. Yeah. 
Um, so he reverses his suit and he, he sneaks in to meet with Solitaire. Um, he proceeds to, they have a little conversation back and forth about the tarot cards, about the lover's card. Bond's playing with her tech, her deck of tarot cards. And I like how he's just sitting in the chair too, which has her little like her shoulder, thing, yeah, her yeah like cape thing, yeah. her outfit that like she just kind of pops in and out of, like it's part of like the whole set. Yeah. And Bond just sitting there playing with the cards and just kind of like sitting over his shoulders. Yep. I'm like, that's kind of cool. Um, but they have a little conversation back and forth and he asks her to, you know, draw a card. She draws a card, and it is none other, no other card than yet again, the lovers. The lovers. Mm-hmm. So Bond begins to seduce Solitaire, and as he's seducing her, he drops the cards, you know, tosses the cards onto the table, On the table. and they flip over, and it shows that every card every was one. the lovers' card. <laughs> yes, and I love how he makes a, a comment on that in a little bit here. Yes, and look at the next scene. He's like, "Well, I've I might have." Uh, the deck, the deck, the deck might have been stacked like that. in my favor. Stacked. That's yeah. what it was. Yeah, yeah, the deck might have been stacked in my favor. Um, after their sexy time, Solitaire is very distraught that he she has failed um, because in her belief structure, like her mother before her, you know, you have to be a virgin to be able to successfully read the tarot cards to read into the future. So she's distraught that she can't read. You know, her her her. her she's lost her abilities. And she references when her mother lost her abilities, you know, she was she was killed for it. You know, when mm-hmm. she's when they're no longer of use, um, they're killed. So she's she's very upset about this. Uh, Bond, you know, offers offers her his his protection. You know, they've got a boat and whatnot. So they proceed to take a jaunt through the forest and come across <clears throat> a nice little hut with gravestones in front where we have the Baron Voodoo Man from the beginning playing a flute. Mm-hmm. Um, and he is yet again another spy who the moment they leave yeah. whips out, <laughs> separates his flute, who's a, and it happens to be a communication piece of equipment, and radios back to Kanaga telling him where they are. So again, their location is constantly being monitored in this and film. I, I kind of feel like the... Um, the war between gadgets in this movie is evenly fought. It is. Between Bond and the bad guys. Like, Kanaga's, like, whole group, everyone's got all these cool gadgets yeah. and stuff. Like, it's yeah. it's well played throughout the movie, which is one of the things I did like. Yeah, it's more so than we've seen in anything else. There's a lot more of an even... It's more of an even match mm-hmm. than we've seen before. Um, And I like how, when they, they start to continue on their journey, that... Bond starts like telling like, "Hey, let's go this way." And um, Solitaire's like, "Well, how do you know?" He's like, "Well, because you know, you see these scarecrows; they're meant to keep people away. So therefore, that's the way we're going." Yep, exactly. You go where they don't want you to go. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so they arrive on the hilltop and discover poppy poppy seed fields, which Bond assumes is heroin smuggling. So this whole operation is is drug related, essentially. Um, mm-hmm. A helicopter flies over because, yet again, their location is always monitored. So the bad guys always know where they are. So the helicopter yep. flies over and attacks them. A um, little small chase sequence occurs. Bond, Bond and uh, Solitaire loses them. They in, enter a small town, but the police are on the payroll as well. Mm-hmm. So the police see them. they get radioed ahead. Exactly. The police see them getting on a bus and proceed to follow them. Um, Which... I have to say, I kind of liked this chase scene. I, I thought did this too. was a was a cool, neat little chase scene. Uh, 
and um, the way they went into this, like it was, it was nice. It wasn't too overkill, and it wasn't like too extreme with some of the stunts <clears throat> they did. It was very basic and simple and to the point. And I think that's what made this chase scene um, bad. Uh, like, oh, I guess really, really good in this movie. Yeah, yeah, I agree. It, it is, it is the better of the two major chase scenes in the mm-hmm. film. It is, it is definitely the better of the two. Um, during this chase scene, you know, there's a lot of there's a lot of chase, and there's a lot of them going back and forth. But one of the crucial parts is they're chasing, they're chasing, they're chasing, and then Bond completely 180s a bus, taking yeah. out the pursuing police bikes and all but one car. Um, Bond is then proceeds to run away with the one last car chasing him. He approaches a low bridge, takes off the top of the the double-decker bus that he was <laughs> yeah. driving, and it falls on top of the pursuing vehicle, and they... It just like keeps on driving, keeps on driving and drives right into something. Yeah, um, Bond missing the top half of his bus, bus literally drives to the docks. And when I say he drives to <laughs> yes, the docks, no, he stops on the dock. He talk, like people are yeah. jumping out of the way. He stops the bus before it goes into the water, basically, <laughs> where Quirrell and the boat is waiting for them. Uh, <laughs> I did like that. I thought that was really really cool how they did all that. Yeah. Um, cause, uh, like I remember he like gets out and like gets on the boat and meanwhile people are still trying to climb back up onto the dock, onto the dock the as they're, as they're going they, they away in the off. boat. Yeah. Um, they head back to, head back to the great, great city of Yollins. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. So this is where they, they head back. Yes. Um, so yeah, this, this whole time they're in the, the San Monique or whatever. Yeah. Um, so they head back to the great city of New Orleans uh, a cab picks them up, and Bond notices this is the same cab driver from New York. Yep, which is where I got confused at first when I was watching like the first cab scene mm-hmm. and him ride around, and then it kind of clicked in a little bit more because at this point I'm like, well, it's the same cab driver as before, and he's obviously in with Biggs, mm-hmm. uh, but our CIA agent seemed like he was in on the, the radio conversation. So I'm kind of confused what's going yeah. on. So like at this point it started making a little bit more sense. Mm-hmm. And especially after you explained the, the back and forth where it just kind of portrayed that. Yeah. Um, but I liked seeing him back in this, uh, the taxi thing because I, I thought it was kind of neat where it's like, Hey, before he was just a cab driver and Bond was being nice to you. And now Bond realizes that he's really, you know, one he's, of the bad yeah, guys. He's really, a, he's really a bad guy. Um, so the cab driver locks their doors and proceeds to take Bond to see Mr. Big. Um, Mr. Big comes off a plane. There's a little conversation. or not, No, Mr. Big doesn't come off the plane. His, some of his henchmen come off the plane mm-hmm. um, to meet Mr. Bond when Bond arrives. Um, Bond, a fight ensues. Bond proceeds to escape and takes a plane with a student pilot in the passenger seat. An elderly I really like student this pilot in the passenger seat. Um, yeah, this scene was kind of cute. Bond proceeds to taxi the, uh, the, uh, the, the single engines, engine Cessna back and forth, back and forth, taking out, you know, the chasing cars as he goes along, causing havoc lo- on the runway, if you will. I, and I love it because I, I did have a, when I watched in the scene and he's like, you know, taking the plane through all the, the, the airfields essentially like through the hangars on stuff. I immediately flash back 
to um, Diamonds Are Forever when Sean Connery's taking the car through the parking lot and oh, all yeah. the other police are just wrecking themselves and yeah. he's just kind of like in and out. Like that is immediately what I flash back to. I'm like, all right, how is Bond in a plane driving around this place? completely dodging every other car and they're all just crashing into other stuff and helicopter or other planes and all this other this stuff. This is I'm one like, of those scenes. What is going on this here? This is one of those scenes where it goes, where like you said in one of the last movies, you know, we've got, we've had a ski sequence, we've had a plane fight, we've had a helicopter fight, we've had mm-hmm. a car chase, we've had this, that, and the other thing. They're like, you know what we haven't had? We haven't had a car chase, but Bond's in a plane but he never yes. leaves the ground. Yes. He's just I, I, driving a plane. <laughs> that's pretty much what the scene was. And um, I liked it. I thought it was, it was, it was funny. Like this was the little bit of comedy that was put throughout the movie that I enjoyed. Yeah. Yeah. Some of it was overplayed. Some of it was underplayed. This, I, this whole scene I thought was really good, especially with his commentary between the student driver. Exactly. Or student yep. flyer, I should yep. say. Um, and like after he takes everyone out and he and he hops out of the plane, he 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 says like something like same time next week, Mrs. Smith or something like that. You know? Yeah, <clears throat> and she just kind of looks at him. Yeah, yeah, which um, I thought was cute. Meanwhile, at the same time, I thought this was kind of cool when he gets in. The woman asked, I guess, where the actual normal teacher was. Mm-hmm. But when Bond parks and gets out and says his like, I'll see you next week. The original actual teacher was like in the office where they originally took the plane um where it was parked and he's like on the phone looking out and the plane just pulls up with no wings yep. no nothing and Bond just gets out and he's like what just happened to my plane <laughs> which um when we get into the next scene with uh, felix I'll, I'll hit on this again yes yes this next scene i love it's bond and felix um <clears throat> hanging out together in new Orleans and Felix is on the phone, smoothing things over yes. about the events at the runway. Uh, I was, I was laughing. Like, I know you can't just duct tape it back. <laughs> yeah. Like, I, yeah. I, I was loving that. Felix, I Felix basically really... cleans up bonds messes when he's in the United States. <laughs> yes. um, I, I, I love it. I, and I do like this, this version of Felix a lot. I really like this. I do this, too. This, I like this Felix better. Yeah, this Felix I really enjoy. Um, but they have a little conversation back and forth and they're saying we're meeting, you know, there's the same club that I mentioned earlier. The uh, Filet mm-hmm. of Soul Club is also in New in, in New Orleans and they've got a man on the ground there keeping an eye on the place until they get there. Um, then we cut to the exact same scene from the beginning of the movie. You had the band, the big band funeral procession again, yep, yep. where the CIA agent, the black CIA agent from the beginning is, is watching over the, the, the bar. Yep. Well, the, not the original one who died, but the one who, the was one who uh, rescued following, Bond yeah, the rescued Bond and was yep. following him in the car. Um, this is the man they have in the ground, keeping an eye on the bar. And now this is where you can put two and two together. And that's exactly what the agent from the beginning was doing. So this is the way mm-hmm. they get rid of people who, who, who spy on them, basically. Um, this gentleman suffers the exact same fate, unfortunately, right before Bond and Felix arrive. As far as we know. As far as we know. You don't actually see it, but the band is doing their celebratory march yeah. when Felix and Bond arrive. So it's assumed Which, that he's dead. 
as, as far as the scene goes, I thought was kind of neat because although it was pretty much the exact same scene as, as the beginning, mm-hmm. so the, the, it implies that you know what happened even though they don't show it. Yeah. Because, I mean... Which was a good way of doing it because they didn't need to show it again. Exactly. You, you exactly saw, which is one of the things I yeah, like. You saw the method um, that they used. You didn't need to see yeah. it for a second time. And, and the cool thing is, is and granted, you probably wouldn't see it in this age of movies, but like in nowadays movies and all, this would be a perfect misdirection opportunity as well if you mm-hmm. wanted to use that scene for that purpose. Um, obviously not in this movie because as far as we know, he was killed and removed just like at the beginning of the movie. Yeah. But that scene, the way they do it was really neat because you have the the agent there the guy walks up behind him just kind of smiles doesn't have to say anything because we know what happened from the beginning exactly. of the movie yep and then like you said Felix and Bond show up they're having a party and all that and we know what happened from the beginning exactly so we as the audience fill in the blank but really that gives the the director the storyteller whoever you want to um, whoever's really telling the story to change that and mm-hmm. add, you know, do a misdirection if they want to uh, go with a completely different style and, and bring that character back if they wanted to. Yep. Um, obviously, that's not what happens in this movie, but I love mm. the way they cut that. It did like a little quick yeah, edit. Yeah, it was. It was to a, Im- imply. It was a very great moment of filmmaking. I 100 percent agree with you on that. That scene mm-hmm. was very, very well done. Mm-hmm. Um, upon arriving to the bar. Uh, they're offered to sit in a booth, which Bond refuses. And Felix goes, <laughs> yeah. what's wrong with a booth? And Bond's something along the lines of, I had a bad spin in a booth once. Referencing <laughs> the beginning of the movie, him flipping a, a, in the, at the other bar in New York. Yeah, I thought that was great. So uh, they, like so they take one. a table instead. Um, they're sitting there for a moment, and the performer on stage keeps making eye contact with Bond in a very, very disconcerting yeah. way. Um, and Bond, or Felix gets a phone call, too. Waiter comes up and tells Felix he's got a phone call. Felix leaves, and Bond immediately takes the elevator down. There's just a straight-up trapdoor <laughs> elevator underneath their table. They know every seat Bond's ever going to sit in. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> and, and they're I like able to like... put this man exactly where they want him to be. Everyone there is in on it because Everyone's no one misses on a beat. No Bond disappears. Beat. The guys just come out, put another table and their glasses and stuff. And Felix walks out like, "Hey, where'd Bond go?" Exactly. And exactly. then some other, like I guess the guy who put him in the table to begin with was like, "Oh, let me tell you about your friend or this and that." Yeah. Like as if Bond caused a scene or something and left. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, I, I did. I did enjoy that. Um, so mm. Bond goes through the trapdoor and he's taken to see none other than Mister Big himself. They have a little back and forth where, where Mr. Big is, is threatening Bond about whether or not he, he touched um, Solitaire. Solitaire, you know, right. Does she still have her power? You know, it, I don't believe in this, but, you know, Kanaga, my associate, you know, is, is, you know, really believes this stuff. Um, so there's you know, also Claw. Claw Man's there as well. Yeah, and this kind of shows that... Uh... Because it's not really said a lot, but throughout the movie, I guess they kind of piece together that Biggs and Kanaga are working are together. Working together. Yeah. yeah. Um, so Bond is, you know, re- restrained in the chair with the, with Clawman next to him. Mister Big and the acting in the scene is really really good. I really liked the aggression of him ta- asking Bond, "Did you touch mm-hmm. her?" You know. Um, I really enjoyed that. And Bond basically responds with, you know, a, a gentleman never tells, you know, I'll yep. tell when I have the opportunity to speak with Mr. Kanaga, you know, 
And then it proceeds to Mr. Big goes, you know, reaches up to his face and begins pulling off a mask. Mr. Mm. Big is Kanaga. Um, and I mean, you can kind of tell it's a mask too, because like, it's like, I don't know, just something with, uh, and I kept thinking it was the makeup they were using for this character. Yeah. And then once I realized that it was a mask that he was pulling off his face, I'm like, okay, that makes more sense. It's like, cause it's something just didn't seem His face right. was very latexy. Yeah. It looked, yeah. It looked yeah. waxy. Yeah. yeah. It, and like throughout the movie, like something just doesn't seem right. Mm-hmm. Granted, you only see him like once or twice or real, real quickly. I'm like, something just isn't right there. Yeah. And they so did it do makes a, good, a lot more sense. They did do a good job of doing that. And I think that was part of the reason the scene mm-hmm. at the beginning where he just, you, you come out, you see him for a minute and he's just not having a conversation with Bond. He's just like, take him outside yeah. and kill him. You know, you only see him for those like few seconds. Yeah. Um, so I, 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 I did enjoy that. So Mr. Big really is Kanaga. Um, Kanaga proceeds to, Take Bond's watch, um, and there's a little quiz time that we're going to have to well, prove that Solitaire has not lost her powers. He puts Bond, you know, if Solitaire answers his questions incorrectly with her with her abilities, he was going to cut off Bond's fingers. So he's got the claw man sitting there with his claw over Bond's pinky finger, ready to snap it, and he proceeds to ask Kanaga, or he begins to read the serial number of Bond's watch to um, Solitaire and asks her, am I lying? Mm-hmm. Which she responds with no. And the answer is correct. Bond is, Bond is let go. He keeps his finger and he is knocked out, but not before he's knocked out. He's knocked out and taken away to the farm. Kanaga instructs Clawman to take him to the farm. After Bond leaves the rooms, leaves the room, Voodoo Baron a- arrives. Um, and I like this scene with, with the Baron and, and Kanaga and Solitaire, that little conversation they had back and forth. Yeah, I thought that was kind of Where the neat. Baron was pulling the, the um, tarot cards, the tarot cards. to kind of show what needed to be done with, with Solitaire. You know, where mm-hmm. he's got that, because he's Voodoo, he's kind of got that ability too you know yeah just kind of like he was almost like a mentor type deal yeah or at some point like he was like the big big bad teacher so to speak yeah exactly um but kanaga and solitaire proceed to have a conversation about her answering wrong she actually was not correct mm-hmm. um she was not correct and the emotion i like the emotion with kanaga where he talks about like like her her losing her powers because she had sex basically, but the yeah. way the way Kanaga, you know, Kanaga, you could tell that he used her for abilities her ability, but he also cared for her mm-hmm. because it was a moment. He was it like I would yeah more. he was like I would have given that to you when the time came, you know I would have given mm-hmm. you what you wanted when the time came, you know why did you why did you make me why do you make me do this type yeah. deal. It kind of reflected the fact that he wasn't just hurt because now he's down a fortune teller, but it was like that feeling, those feelings were like strong and it was almost like breaking his heart type deal too. Exactly. Exactly. Which Mm -hmm. I enjoyed that. Um, Voodoo Baron proceeds to pull the death card and she is to be killed. Um, Like her mother before her, the Baron proceeds to laugh and then we cut to 
Bond arriving at the farm. Mm -hmm. Also known as the heroin processing plant. Um, in this backwoods bayou area, you know, shanty shack, but you go inside, it's this big processing plant. Uh, mm. Claw proceeds to show off the gators, the gators in the bayou. I did like this scene. I thought this was kind of neat. Just the, like, the little, I guess, like, monologue, essentially. It is exactly that, uh, a monologue. Claw had yeah. when he was walking out there, and Bond's just kind of like, hmm, okay, cool. Where it's, and he it's, was just kind of doing his thing. Yeah, where it's being intimidating, but it's also revealing uh, aspects of his character where he references... You know, you got to treat him with respect. Otherwise, you know, because that's how he yeah. lost his arm, you know, yeah. was a gator got a hold of him. Um, while they're talking back and forth, Bond's kind of walking around and listening to him speak. And while Claw is still talking, he begins to retract the bridge, leaving Bond on a rock in the middle of the gator pond. Yep. We have a couple cuts back and with forth. With some meat, too. Yeah, with some meat, too. So we have a couple cuts back and forth of the gators getting closer and closer and closer. Bond attempts to use his magnet watch to pull a canoe over to him, but it's tied up to a rope. <laughs> yeah. That he yep. can't break. That he can't break. The gators are closing in, closing in, closing in. Which, I like that part. Like, I liked, again, like I mentioned with the gadgets, that he tried to use the gadget, and the gadget failed on him to yes. the point where it just it, it wouldn't work for this scenario. And I, I like that, because in most Bond movies, they go to the gadget. The gadget is a super crazy cool gadget that... You know, Always saves the day and, and you're yeah. you're done. Yeah. In this scenario, it's like, hey, I got the cool gadget. I'm going to use it. Ah, oh, it didn't work as well as I thought it would. Okay, what's plan B? Like, I love that. Yeah. I love the fact that it was in there like that. Because, I mean, he still uses it throughout the movie. And it's like, oh, nope, can't use it on this one. Let's try something else. Mm -hmm. Yep, I agree. Um, gators are closing in on Bond. And at the last minute, right before the Gators get to him, Bond sees his opportunity of, of, of three or four gators lining up towards the top and <laughs> yeah. proceeds, proceeds to run over the top of their backs like stones in the water, <laughs> which was a bit crazy, but... Yeah, yeah. In my head, I'm like, all right, so we can't use the gadget for the boat, but we can run over the backs yes. of gators because that makes all the sense uh, in the world. But he gets to shore. Um, he does. He proceeds to leave a trail of food opens the gate, leaves a trail of food into the lab, um, leading a gator into the lab. Meanwhile, he sneaks around back uh, and lights the lab on fire. Um, so He did not like that gator. I no, that much. no. Gator dies, <laughs> lab explodes, claw man escapes um, before the lab explodes, however, and sees Bond leaving, running away via speedboat, and a boat chase ensues. And when I say a boat chase, I mean... It's just like forever boat chase. A boat chase. This boat chase goes on for like 20 minutes. So we'll skim through the important bits of it. Yeah, I, I'll have to say... The I most I important bit of this, the boat this... chase... Hold on, Jordan. This is the most important okay. bit of the boat chase. The most important bit of the boat chase is... Kanaga's henchmen sent out a radio call to all of their fellow henchmen in the area of oh, listen. Yeah. This man's on a boat. You know, the first one, the first one to get him back, you know, to, to get him lives or something like that. Um, so basically we're going to kill everyone who doesn't, um, <clears throat> who doesn't get him. And ladies and gentlemen, there's one person in particular who responds to this call to action. It's none other 
than Frank Joseph P. Henchman himself. Frank Joseph P. Henchman. Good old Frank is Has back. made his way to the bayous of, 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 of Louisiana. Um, he's, taken, he's taken some time to reflect on his life. And it hasn't been a great one. Sadly, um, times have turned for Frank. Because of his failures in the henchman business and his constant back and forth and having to move his family, his wife just, just wasn't having it anymore. So sadly, his, his wife left him and took the kids in the divorce. Uh, and Frank just had, he just didn't have the money to fight it. You know, henchmen, henchmen don't, don't get paid what they used to. So he decides to restart, move away, go back to the simpler things in life. Go back to the, the, the simple way. So he becomes a noble fisherman in the bayous of Louisiana. He's immediately accepted into the culture. He's welcomed as one of their own. They adopt him into their own society. And Frank thrives for a while. For a while, he's, he does well. You know, he, he, he fishes. You know, he makes enough to get by. The, the pain of losing his wife and kids will never go away. Um, but, you know, he's, he's doing what he can. He's doing the best he can. And one day, you know, he realizes that he's, this society he's been accepted into is yet again just another organization that he can't escape from. Even win. what he thought was his retirement ended up being him working for another criminal mastermind. But... It's not so bad. He still fishes. He's just, all he's done, all he's asked to do is, hey, listen, if you see something fishy, report back, you know, call it in, let us know. So it's a simple job for a simple man. So that's all he does for a while until the faithful day where he gets a call over the radio saying, Mr. Bond is escaping via speedboat. The first man to get him lives. Well, Frank sees this as two opportunities. Frank doesn't want to die. He's divorced. No, no. He's had a hard life, but hard life. But he doesn't want to die. But also, saying Frank sees this as his opportunity to take exact vengeance upon his nemesis, Mister Bright. So Frank proceeds to take off in his speedboat, chasing down Mister Bond through the bayous of of Louisiana, going left, going right, going all around the water. You know, Bond's trying to evade him, but Frank knows his every move. Frank's had done this chase a thousand times before. He's been waiting for this moment. At the last minute, however, Mr. Bond takes a hard left, and while Frank and his other henchman buddies are chasing him down, Frank sees Bond make a jump over the breast, you know, just a jump, a blind jump. Frank has been working these bayous for many years at this point. Doesn't know what's on the other side of that jump. And while he's, he's trying to garner up the courage to make the jump as well, he has a flashback of him skiing down the mountain, chasing after Mr. Bond in the Swiss Alps. And him taking the shortcut that he knew so well and slamming into the tree, breaking every bone in his body. He has that flashback. And at the very last minute, Frank veers hard left and crashes his boat into the trees 
of the swamps <laughs> in the bayou. And that is the story of Frank in Live and Let Die. Poor Frank, man. He's had a rough. <laughs> he had a rough. Just just when he thought he couldn't get worse. Oh, that poor... <laughs> all that money he put into that boat, saving up. So my uh, my my Frank stories are getting harder and harder to keep up with his history. <laughs> they are. I, I need to start writing these down because I didn't know Frank's full name until now. Trust me, it'll probably change next week because I won't remember well, it either. That's fine. <laughs> uh, um, but anyway, good old Frank. Good old Frank. So that is the now story that, of Frank, ladies and gentlemen. And I'll be honest, during this chase scene. That is one of two of my favorite parts of this whole chase scene. Because this whole chase scene is, in my opinion, horribly outplayed. Uh, yeah. And really did not need to be in the movie. I all. mean, we have the introduction I, I, I liked... of a whole other character that is entirely unnecessary. Mm-hmm. You know? Um, let's I was just... Say, cause, let's I was let's go say, and we'll speed through it. it. Let's speed through the yeah, chase, I was going to say, essentially they bring in um a sheriff or i think it was it was sheriff who, pepper uh, is his name pepper that's what it was because he pulls over one of the henchmen that was on the road yeah which will come back into this this chase scene and while this has happened during the henchman chase where i think frank might have been part of at one point mm-hmm. they jump over the road that pepper pulled this guy over uh one of the henchmen's boat goes through pepper's car and then uh, the henchman just takes off in his car. So then Pepper, you know, commandeers another uh, patrol's car, and yep. they proceed to chase on land while the rest of them are going through these waters and stuff. Like yeah, that. and for the rest of the chase um, sequence, there's involved. The police have a, a level of involvement with like blockades and whatnot, but they're they're basically it's it's all pointless. It's all pointless. They're worthless. And and Pepper, yeah. Sheriff Pepper as a character is a very backwoods, you know, bumpkin character. Mm-hmm. And the actor that portrayed him, I don't remember his name, but the actor, the actor that portrayed him is actually a relatively well-known actor, um, known for like um, Bonanza and like Gunsmoke and like 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 spaghetti mm-hmm. western comedy things. Um, so he's not a bad actor, but it just no, I, it just goes to show job, like uh, between this movie and Diamonds Are Forever, like the sheriff and Diamonds Are Forever. Yeah, law enforcement. Whenever like so far in the late sixties and early seventies Bond movies. The last two that have taken place in America, like they portray law enforcement as just jokes. buffoons, just mm-hmm. jokes, just country bumpkins, you know. Um, so that was completely unnecessary. And I, I mean, uh, no, no, yeah, it, I mean, really it just wasn't. it just didn't add anything to it. Um, um, what the only thing I think I liked about all of this. Um, because, like, as the scene carries on, I think at one point Bond's boat uh, gets shot, so he starts losing gas. So he uh, parks into, like, someone's yard and essentially steals their boat instead. And yep. the henchmen chasing him take their boat and park it in the pool, yeah. which I thought was kind of funny. Yeah, that was, they, like, pretty much the only funny scene to me. Yeah, yeah both, bar- um, both th- boats drive up and Bond stops before theirs does and theirs ends up <laughs> yeah. running in somebody's pool. Because Bond apparently has brakes on his boat. I don't mm-hmm. know. Uh, but then, like, I think there was another scene where they go through a wedding. Um, yeah. I mean, this boat chase just took ever, way, way too long. I, and like I said, there was a blockade. And at they some went point, right through that. At some pointless. point, the sheriff calls his, his, his brother-in-law, I shit yeah. you not, Billy Bob, yeah. who has <laughs> the fastest boat alive, apparently. Um, um, and 
really the only play in that is the henchman that was on the road for the longest time gets there, just happens to know where he's at, and takes, takes this guy's boat, boat yeah. to chase Bond down. Exactly. Um, and even that, that was a different scene too, because once he he's the only one that's able to keep up with Bond, and when he gets to the very end, Bond like disappears. I don't know. He grabs something, fuel or something, yeah, and just kind of splashes yeah. it on him. Bond, Bond hides behind like a tank, like a um, a barge. And while the henchman is looking for him, you know, Bond's filling up a container full of gasoline. Then they proceed to like drive drive by each other. Bond throws the gasoline on the on the henchman, pulls the steering wheel so it goes out of control, and then kind of leads him into the barge where he explodes. Yeah. Um, and then after this scene, thank God this boat chase is over. At this yeah, point, yeah, yeah. Because the only thing I liked was at the end when Bond's like coming up to when the, he's pulling uh, up to the dock, the dock and Felix yeah. and all the other police there. I'm like, oh great, because like yeah. I was not looking forward to the end of this this chase scene with the way the the police involvement with Pepper and yeah. all through the very end. Like I was kind of curious how it was going to end, but I was like, I don't want an ending. I just want Bond to outrun him and put him on the pass. Just yep. move on. Yep. Bond pulls up the docks. Felix is waiting there. And this is another small scene of Felix kind of smoothing things over where Pepper shows up and is you know excited that they finally got him and is pulled away by another, off- another officer to explain the situation. Um, then we cut to the, the sacrifice area that we saw from the beginning of the movie um, with some yep. pretty crazy erotic pole dancing going on where they're like <laughs> yeah. humping these poles. It's pretty insane. Um, Felix drops off Bond and Quirrell. This is where they're going in. They're going to blow up the poppy fields, capture the bad guy, rescue the girl. You know, the classic Bond Mm -hmm. final moments. And and pretty much from like here to the end of the movie, I was back in the movie. Like that whole chase scene took me out of the movie. Like kind of like the midsection was not so good for me. Um, But like from here on, it was the classic ending or not really ending, but like the last you know, half of the movie. Yeah. This part was all good for me. Like some from like here on out, I, I enjoyed the rest of the oh, movie. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I, I agree. Um, so we got the crazy pole dancing. Felix drops bond and crawl off bond approaches the ritual area where solitaire is being sacrificed. Um, mm-hmm. The band procession comes in or the, the pallbearers from the band procession earlier in the movie comes in and they drop a coffin full of snakes. Um, during this time, we see shots of Quirrell setting explosives at the poppy fields. Mm-hmm. Um, the ceremony stops, you know, the, 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 the crazy guy with the snake is going off, getting ready for it to, to, to bite solitaire. And the ceremony stops as the Baron rises from the ground. Mm-hmm. Uh, Bond proceeds to shoot the man with a snake and turns the gun on the Baron and fires. The Baron is actually just a statue. Yep. Um, during this time, the poppy fields proceed to explode, explode, creating chaos at the at the ritual, giving Bond time to release Solitaire. Um, yep, grabs a sword, takes out, and yep. like, breaks the ropes and all. During which the real Baron rises. Um, mm-hmm. The small, very short fight sequence occurs between the Baron and Bond, where Bond trips up the Baron and throws him into the snake coffin, where he is killed by yes. the snakes. Um, pretty, pretty interesting way to go. I'm not going to lie. 
Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, I, I did like how this scene was kind of shortened to the point, too. Like, I was expecting, like, this crazy big fight scene, and it wasn't. And I, I kind of enjoyed that a little bit more. I'm like, oh, thank you. Yeah. Just something quick and easy that, that to flows and looks good. Mm-hmm. Um, Bond, um, and Bond and Solitaire proceed to use the secret elevator that the real Baron rose up through and work their way through the tunnels, fighting off various henchmen until they come across Kanaga's secret underground lair. Mm-hmm. Um, Which during this also time, neat. yeah. During this time, Crow meets back with Lighter, um, saying, "You know, Bond must be close behind because his 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 wetsuit was missing." Yeah. Um, there's a reference to Kanaga's men fighting Bond's wetsuit right before you know shit hit the fan. Uh, mm-hmm. Kanaga asks Bond what his this gun that he had was, which is a a gas pellet gun. Proceeds to use it to inflate the couch that Whisper's sitting on, and, and <laughs> which I thought was kind of funny. Yeah, it was kind of a humorous moment. Um, and it explodes. This is also foreshadowing. Um, Bond and Solitaire proceed to be tied to the crane where Bond is cut. His blood's dripping into the water and they release the sharks to swim through the tunnel. All about sharks in these movies, man. All about sharks. Yeah, yeah. I'm actually surprised they didn't really put sharks into it more. I think there was like one of the scene where the sharks were following the boat or something. I think it should have been gators, personally. <laughs> and that's what I was expecting when I first saw the scene. So I was like, oh, they're bringing the gators back. But no, they were sharks. Yeah, exactly. Um, during the scene where they're being tied up, Bond uses his, his magnet watch to pull one of the pellets from the pellet gun to him. Sharks proceed to swim in through the tunnel um, with Bond bleeding. Bond then takes his watch and we get another awesome feature of it where the dial on the watch becomes a little razor blade and it's a, he's able to cut himself free from his bonds mm-hmm. and proceeds to swing to shore where he fights with Kanaga, throws whisper into like this smuggling tube thing. Like that torpedo got there. container. Torpedo yeah. container. Yeah. Um, he proceeds to fight with Kanaga and they both fall into the water with the sharks. Um, while underwater fighting bond activates his, his inflatable gas pellet and shoves it into Kanaga's mouth where he inflates like a goddamn balloon and flies <laughs> into does. the air and explodes like bobs. a pinata. Um, it was a very it was unexpected, very glorious scene. A bit yeah. cheeky and comical for me, but yeah, funny yeah, I nonetheless. Agree. I thought it was an interesting scene, but I was like, they didn't really need to have that in this movie. It was kind they of funny. Not. Um, so that is the end of Kanaga. Uh, Bond and Solitaire then proceed to talk about how they're leaving, and Bond says, we're leaving by train, of course. Cut mm-hmm. to the train platform where Felix Leiter is seeing them off. Um, they go aboard the train. Bond and Solitaire proceed to play gin, gin rummy, and Solitaire wins. Um, go figure, yep. the woman who knows all about cards wins the card game. <laughs> yeah. During this time, we cut to the claw man who found his way aboard, sneaking in via the mailbag. Clawman proceeds to cut the power and sneak into Bond's room, throwing, um, or excuse me, sneak into Bond's room, getting ready to cut the hand off of uh, Solitaire, Solitaire as she's waiting mm-hmm. in bed for Bond. But not before Bond walks out of the bathroom and sees him, where she is thrown up into the bunk and a fight ensues between Claw and Bond. Um, they're going back and forth. Bond breaks the window. Bond uses wire cutters while he's up against the wall. He's, you know, Claw Man's got the advantage on him. Mm-hmm. Bond grabs the, his his wire cutter, hair tweezer, whatever from his toiletry kit, <laughs> yeah. 
and proceeds to cut secret, the cables. Uh, it must have been secret agent um, hair clippers, you know, just, just in case exactly. for these type of scenarios. Um, proceeds to cut the cables on Claw's arm, um, causing his arm to be disabled, um, and throws him out the window. Uh, Bond makes a quick quip and rejoins Solitaire in bed. Yeah, I can't remember what he says because he says something because... This is what, like, at some point he brings the bed down, and she thought that Bond was the one that flipped her up in the bed to begin with. So he never even says anything about Claw, Claw no, being he there. Just but says, I can't remember what he says. Yeah, he says something when he goes to close a window. Yeah, something, and he rejoins solitaire in bed. Then we cut to the front of the front of the train, where no other than the Voodoo Baron is riding on the front of the train, and laughing, we, laughing hysterically, and we cut to the credits. I, and I didn't get why he was there. Like I was like, okay, well, we just went from like an action movie to a I've little got bit of comedy in, down to. I'll get to that like, in trivia time. Like I, a ghost story. I got a reference to the Voodoo Baron in trivia time. Okay. And I mean, so that's it. Then we get the outro credits, which I think we mentioned a few episodes ago. But like the outro credits are starting to become more and more popular now because mm-hmm. I know we had the intro credits at the beginning, and then it was just boom, you're done. Um, so the music kicks off again, you have the outro, and then essentially mm-hmm. we end with James Bond will return in The Man with the Golden Gun. Yes. And that is... You Not not You Only Live Twice. Live and I know, die. I was going to say the wrong me. title too. <laughs> <laughs> that is, is the end of die. the movie. Live and Let Die. Because we both almost said the wrong title of this movie. We did. Uh, uh, so that's the end of this movie. Um, I'll let you take off with trivia before we talk about our overall yes. thoughts of this movie. So take it away. It's trivia, trivia, trivia time. Da-da-da. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to trivia time. So touching on a little bit with the Sean Connery turning down the $5.5 million dollars. He did give Roger Moore, however, his personal seal of approval for inheriting his role, calling him, quote, the ideal Bond. Really? Yes. So Sean Connery very much approved of Roger Moore taking over his role as James Bond. Roger Moore was 45 years old when he made his debut as 007, making him the oldest actor ever to portray the character. The youngest, as we referenced, being George Lazenby, who was 29 in Her Majesty's Secret Service. Does not look 45. Roger Moore looks good for his age. I I didn't think he was that old when you mentioned that. Yeah. Um, Ross Kanaga, who who was credited as the stunt coordinator, was the owner of the alligator and crocodile farm in which Bond escapes the hungry crocs, and they filmed that location. Kanaga actually personally performed the stunt of of running over the backs of Crocs by himself wearing Roger Moore's clothes. Um, Interesting. Yep. It took five attempts for him to complete the stunt. During the fourth attempt, one of the crocodiles snapped at his shoes as it went by. <laughs> wow. So this stunt was actually, you know, actually, actually done, which is kind of cool. Um, the producers, while scouting locations first took notice of Mr. Kanaga's farm from the sign out front warning trespassers will be eaten. That same sign is seen in the film. Mm -hmm. I did see that one. They liked Ross Kanaga, the real person so much. They used his last name for the film's villain, Dr. Kanaga. (laughs) That's cool. You kept saying the name. I'm like, 
Yeah, no. What's the coincidence there? No, it was yeah, it was it was named after the uh, the stunt coordinator. A um, little bit of cue time. We don't have cue in this movie, but a little bit of cue time from the man himself, Desmond Lewiland. The magnetic wristwatch was Roger Moore's personal favorite cue gadget. So every gadget that we see in the future that Roger Moore uses, this watch from his first movie was was what he claims is his favorite. Um, Jeffrey Holder, who is the actor who portrayed uh, Baron Samidi, that's the that's the character's name. I kept forgetting while we were we were doing the summary. Um, hated working with states snakes. Um, as he was playing the Baron, he was called upon to handle tons of them throughout forgetting for, for, throughout filming. Mm-hmm. Um, but he absolutely hated the scene where his character falls into the coffin full of them. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, however, he was obligated to the, perform the scene without raising complaint because Princess Alexandra was visiting the set the day the scene was filmed, and he didn't want to wow. lose face in front of British royalty. <laughs> wow. So, if you're afraid of something, you suck it up when, <laughs> when the goddamn yeah. princess is on set. <laughs> um, uh. The producers made a conscious decision to make Roger's Moore bond, Roger Moore's Bond significantly different from Sean Connery's. In this film, Bond never orders a vodka martini. He drinks bourbon whiskey instead. I did pick up on yes. that. Um, the mission briefing occurs in his flat, not the office. This is only the second mm-hmm. time Bond's apartment's been featured in a movie. Um, bond does not, also does not wear a hat, and he smokes cigars instead of cigarettes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there were little things throughout the movie that I picked up on like that mm-hmm. that I thought was kind of interesting yep. and I thought, I thought it was more Roger Moore's um, style of uh, Bond like that was the way that he wanted to portray Bond versus yeah. the like the <clears throat> directors and all that yeah so mm-hmm. I just kind of figured that was his way of carrying the mantle yeah they were he definitely they 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 also backed him up by making the character his own which i which i liked mm-hmm. um at age 33 yafit koto mr big slash dr kanaga is the youngest actor to ever play a main bond villain interesting mm-hmm. uh let's see here do 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 uh, on his DVD commentary, Roger Moore considers this to be his second best Bond movie after The Spy Who Loved Me in 1977. So we'll have to see how that stacks up when we get there. Um, this is the only, sadly, this is the only James Bond movie featuring Roger Moore where Felix Leiter is a character. So we will not see old oh. Felix again. In Roger Moore. That um, is disappointing. I did not I know. know that, but uh, I, I'm disappointed with that now. However. Because I liked the two of them. However, David Hedison, who played Felix in this movie, will return in that role in License to Kill in 1989, becoming the first actor to play Felix more than once. Uh, that's kind of cool. Yep. Uh, Desmond Llewellyn, a.k.a. Q, did not appear in this movie, sadly. Um, because at the time Llewellyn was appearing on the television show Follyfoot, um, the pre- producers also decided not to include his character, feeling that too much was being made of the film's gadgets and decided to downplay this aspect, uh, much to Llewellyn's annoyance. Next trivia fact. After release, 
fans demanded Llewellyn's return as Q. So he will go on to appear yeah, in 11 awesome. more Bond movies from 1974 to 1999. Yes. <laughs> it's awesome. He, he really did like make Q throughout this Fans movie. demanded him to come back. I, w- I was a little upset when I realized he wasn't in this mm-hmm. movie. I'm like, where's Q? Where's he at? Where's he at? To date, Miss Solitaire is the only character to ever beat James Bond in a card game at the end of this film. <laughs> that's actually kind of funny this is also the only James Bond movie to have a supernatural theme to it with the voodoo focus mm-hmm. which was I thought was kind of neat because they even though it was a supernatural feel to it they kind of played it off where it could have been either or mm-hmm. you know even though it had that supernatural feel they for the most part you can kind of make it like it was a an act or cover yeah. and not actual like a supernatural type movie yeah um where it still kind of holds to like the spy and this is just kind of stuff going on in the background yep agreed last fact for trivia time the title song live and let die by paul mccartney and linda mccartney it was the first song from an eon productions james bond movie to be nominated for an academy award that's pretty cool so fun facts so that is trivia time ladies and gentlemen so that now brings us to our overall thoughts on the movie and the good old ranking good system old that ranking. we have in place. That's right. So overall in this movie, there were things I liked about it. There were things I didn't like about it. Uh, obviously, it's a Bond movie. It's a good movie. Uh, I'm not going to say it's a bad movie. Although there were things about it that I wasn't too fond of. Uh, obviously, the biggest thing was that boat chasing towards, like I don't know, the the whole second half of the movie mm-hmm. up until, you know, everything kicked off back on the island again. Um, that, you could have cut the whole thing out and I would have been fine. Uh, wasn't a fan of that. But the overall, the, the rest of the movie I thought was pretty neat. Like, the jumping around kind of got to me a little bit between, like, the New York and the uh, yeah. San Monique and so on. It, it and stabilized about halfway through the movie, though. Yeah, yeah, which, which is like I said, I, I liked parts of the movie. Like, I liked the kickoff in the beginning. I like how it kind of you know, reeled in, um, like, the first half. And then like, it was kind of like the middle of the movie is where I started losing interest on. Yeah. But then, like I said, once it got to the end and the whole island and the, the last part of the movie, I enjoyed it. I, I felt like I was watching a Bond movie again. Yeah. Um, that being said, I did like Roger Moore as Bond in this movie. Um, I Agreed. did like the fact that... He had his own bond uh, and played strong character throughout the movie. Like, had Sean Connery been in this movie, I think it would have been a completely different feel. I don't know if yeah. I liked it or not. Um, it's, like hard we talked about it's hard to tell. It's hard to tell. It's hard to say on this. We've one. got our problems with this movie. Like, like I said earlier, you know, the 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 black exploitation theme theme that was really popular at this time is definitely prevalent in this film. Um, to a, you know, to a certain extent, but Rogers, Mo- Roger Moore's Bond performance really does shine. I mean, he does, yes, it does. like for his first take on the care, his first time portraying this character, um, he owns it. Like this doesn't feel like his first Bond movie. No, it doesn't. And I mean, it definitely shows throughout the movie. And I think that was one of the things that kind of helped save the movie in my opinion. Yeah. Um, but not saying it was a bad movie. There was just wasn't a you know great bond movie to me mm-hmm. but i think roger moore playing bond in this movie he did such a good job with the character uh it kind of helped 
move the movie up a little bit if that makes sense like it kind of helped pick the movie back up a little bit more yeah made it feel more of a bond movie i agree i agree like the 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 acting i liked from both um um uh, Roger Roger Moore and Yafit Yafit Koto, mm-hmm. um, their acting and their dynamic when they were on screen together was 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 very good. So the acting in this movie was was not the problem, you know. They, no, no, the acting did real good. Yeah, some of the characters were very over the top and and a bit unnecessary, and the side characters like the sheriff were entirely unnecessary and way too over mm-hmm. the top. Um, and those are some aspects that kind of take away from it during the, you know, during the end of the second act, beginning of the third act type, type area. So it it does have its problems, but overall, I mean, much like diamonds are forever, you know, it's, it's a bond movie. So Mm -hmm. they are, they are graded on a little bit of a different standard, you know? So it, it, I, I did enjoy, I did have fun watching it. Um, I did too. Yeah. yeah, like I said, uh, there was <clears throat> there were scenes where or sections of the movie where I lost interest. It mm-hmm. seemed that I just was watching to get through it, yeah. and then there was there was sections of the movie where I'm like, okay, this is really really good. Yeah. So the overall flow of the movie did not carry for me, uh, but like I said, there were things I liked about it. The acting I liked. I liked the. Um, the connection between Bond and Felix yeah. and then Bond and Kanaga more so in the end. I like yeah. Kanaga's yeah. character a lot more when it got closer to the end than I did towards the middle or the beginning. Yeah. Uh, to me, it seemed like his character kind of developed the more you found out at the end that he was Biggs and Kanaga together and that there was no secrets that he could kind of be himself. Exactly. He got, you to saw be a different more. Yeah. You saw yeah, a And I liked it. it. Yeah. yeah. And I like that side of him better at the end which gave him a couple more points as a villain, mm-hmm. in my opinion. Because up until that point, like when you get to his final lair scene, he didn't really seem like a villain to me. He just seemed like he was the mastermind behind everything, yeah. but didn't really seem like a villain to like up to about that point. Uh, so yeah, it it was kind of an I don't say roller coaster movie, but it had its ups and downs to kind of yeah kind of even itself out. So with that said, where do we put this on the list? I, there's things I like about it a little bit better than um, Diamonds Are Forever, but I don't know if I can put it really above Doctor No. Um, I would, if so, it'd be kind of tied somewhere in that range. I would agree with you. There are parts of this movie that I like less than Diamonds Are Forever, but the 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 good parts of this movie are much better than the good parts of Diamond Diamonds Are Forever. Yes, I, agree um, I think those two movies are very much on par with each other, but mm-hmm. the the high highs of this movie are higher than the high highs of of Diamonds Are Forever. Yes, yeah, um, but I don't I don't think the movie just like Diamonds Are Forever had a good flow from beginning to end with everything combined to put it above Doctor No. no. I still think Doctor No was a good full on even flow good yeah. movie from beginning to end. And this movie had too many ups and downs um, that worked good for the movie, just not together. Yep. Essentially, to for me, it'd be hard for me to put it in like the Doctor No or above. It would be like right in that range. So, so I'm okay with putting it between Doctor No and Diamonds, Diamonds are, are Forever. Forever. All right. So it's agreed then. So the list, as of now, is number one from Russia with Love. Number two, You Only Live Twice. Number three, Thunderball. Number four, on Her Majesty's Circuit Service. Number five, Goldfinger. Number six, Doctor No. Number seven, Live and Let Die. And number eight, 
diamonds are forever. The thing we've gone through eight so far, right? <laughs> I guess we should have given the the list beforehand, but uh, yeah, it'll get it works, it'll get a we, lot we longer for me to read that list as we go on. Yeah. <laughs> it's true. It's true. All right, so that brings us to the villain. Yes, list, which I'll do a quick recap. Um, one Goldfinger and Odd Job. Number two is still number two. Mm-hmm. Every time, I love it. Uh, three Spectre General in red. Number four is. Number one, a.k.a. Blowfield, head of Spectre from You Only Live Twice. Yep. Then you have Dr. No at five. Six is Blowfield and Wit slash Kid from Diamonds Are Forever. Mm -hmm. Then you have the Blowfield from On Her Majesty's Secret Service at seven. And that now brings us to our ranking for this movie. Where does this villain take uh, place in our villains list? So this would be one where we've got... got, So I think this would be... Kanaga, this would be Kanaga, Claw, and Baron Samedi. Those are the, if I mean, those are the three. Well, because we're adding henchmen too. You've got like. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, the only, well, yeah, because Wit and Kid kind of helped Blowfield and um, Diamonds Are Forever. Yeah. And Red is what really made Spectre General be at the top of the list yeah um so yeah if you put the three together i think they have a higher ranking if you put them separately i'd put them all towards the bottom yeah uh for different reasons but yeah they i mean they, i think they go all together i mean the the the, yeah, the main if, bad and the henchmen all go all go together if, if you put them all together because in my opinion um kanaga was a good villain in the last part of the movie yes he did not feel like a villain up until then so he doesn't get a lot of points there Claw, I felt like what could have been a good villain. His monologue was on point, man. That, that his monologue, yes, yeah. was. But him throughout the rest of the movie just didn't fit right to me. He just seemed yeah. to be like that. I'm the I'm the scary bodyguard. Yeah, just you know to show fear, and I laugh and smile real funny and weird. But his monologue in that Gator Pit was what sold him as a as yeah. a henchman villain. So I give him points for that scene alone. The rest I mean, of him, I could care less yeah, about. They all have movie. strength. I mean, even even Baron Baron Samiti, that scene between him, Kanaga, yeah, yes. and 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 mm-hmm. Solitaire. I mean, again, that that was one of his strengths. I, I didn't really care for. I mean, well, you don't really know that he's a villain in the beginning when he's doing his little dance thing, festival yeah. dance thing. But um, I, I do give him props because he kind of felt like he was a bad henchman throughout the movie every time you saw him he had that vibe where he played the same character throughout the whole movie and that's kind of on the side note i didn't mention it during trivia time but the scene with him at the at the end on the front of the train with the whole train thing yeah Yeah, that that was set up because barons when they were when they were originally planning out the next move the the next several movies they wanted to bring baron samiti back so they ended it that way so that they could bring him back as a as a, as a character in another movie interesting um, in the near future um so that's why they that's why they set that up was he wasn't really dead um so where would you where would you put these guys then because i think i mean they all have very high highs at their moments you know they do but they, they, they do but have at the same low time they have the lows well. yes so if we do a triple combo put all three together I'm willing to put them above, you know, obviously he, they're above Blowfield from Her Majesty's Secret Service. Yeah. He's still at the bottom of the list. Yeah. Um, you, I'd even kind of put them above, you know, Wit Kid and that Blowfield. I would, because I would as well. Wit and Kid had their play 
and but still, I just I didn't get the whole villain vibe from all of them. No. Just the kind of like the henchmen that were worth of um, worthy of being noted. I so I'm kind of somewhere in maybe above Doctor No. I'm trying to remember my thoughts on Doctor No. I would I would I would probably put them above Doctor No. Because while Doctor, I don't know. Doctor Knows a good villain, Doctor Knows, I think... He the, wasn't like an evil villain, though. He yeah. was just like, he was a mastermind villain. Like, he yeah. was a smart villain. Yeah. I think these these three, Kanaga, Claw, and and um, the Baron combined, and, and that combined with the network of they always knew Bond, what Bond was doing... You know, mm-hmm. made them a much more intimidating. That's true. I didn't. It was a much more into intimidating, you know, organization than 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 Doctor No. Yeah, I didn't think about that. Once you put that into perspective, they they were the better villains in the fact that they were constantly keeping an eye on. Like they were yeah. always prepared for them. Yeah. Um, I just don't know if I'd be able to put them above blowfield from uh you no. only live twice no like, I, I still I think agree. he was a better yeah. villain so i'd i'd be happy with put them at number five i think the sweet spot would be down. yeah put it putting them just above dr no which is which, ironic because this movie ended up just below dr no so it's yeah, kind of funny yeah, yeah. so <clears throat> um so that gives that set then that brings our new villain list with uh number one goldfinger and odd job number two is still number two uh, hopefully that will last forever. Uh, number three, Spectre General in red. Number four would be number one, aka Blowfield from head or head of Spectre from You Only Live Twice. Number five is now uh, Kanaga Claw, or who we, we consider Claw. Yeah, Kanaga, we should really figure out what his name Kanaga, is. Kanaga Claw and Baron Samit. In in Baron. Uh, then that leaves number six with Dr. No, number seven, Blowfield and Wit and Kid from Diamonds Are Forever, and then at the bottom of the list is Blowfield from On Her Majesty's Secret Service. <sighs> yeah, you're right. That list gets longer and longer as it's we get longer and longer. <laughs> but well worth it, because yes. the villains in the movies deserve their rankings, and we deserve to give them the time. Absolutely. So with that said, that is the end of the movie, Live or Let Die. Uh, our thoughts on it. Um, interesting. I'm curious to see with Roger Moore being the new Bond, how the next couple of movies unfold. Uh, I do like him as Bond, and I'm kind of you know interested in seeing his other Bond movies. I'm excited. Um, I'm excited for the next one. I'm excited for The Man with the Golden Gun, because as a kid, I always really enjoyed The Man with the Golden Gun. And, and see, I'm... I'm excited too because I don't remember much of that movie. Yeah, I remember you, it being one of the main titles. You'll immediately but... recognize the bad guy. I'm sure I will. Like once yeah. I get into it and start watching the movie, I'm sure it'll all kind of flash back to me because I'm sure I've seen bits and pieces of it, mm-hmm. but I don't remember enough of it right now that I'm excited to go in uh, to this movie. And I'm the other thing I'm excited for from here on out now is the fact that Roger Moore is the new Bond, so I get to judge him as Bond now. Uh, and more because Lazenby was just in that one movie, so I've only had Sean Connery and been watching Sean yeah. Connery through all of his movies. Yeah. So now we, I get to watch Roger Moore through all of his movies and how he unfolds his Bond. Yep. Uh, so I'm I'm excited uh, from here on out uh, until we get a new Bond. Um. So with that, Eric, did you have any other thoughts on the movie? That is it. I'm just excited for for the man with the golden gun. All right. Well, with that, we are now done with Liver Let Die. 
Next movie is The Man with a Golden Gun. Uh, again, another Roger Moore movie. And with that, Eric, I'll let you do the outro. All right. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you again for joining us for this episode of Friday Films Bond and Review. If you liked what you listened to on this episode, if you will please, please follow us at Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, at Poodoo Presents. If for no other reason than to let me know the history of Frank. Because I will forget as these (laughs) movies go on. We really need someone to keep uh, the, was it, um, um, a bio on yes frank. we need a frank biographer frank bio. you know biographer <laughs> biographer i don't know if that works yeah i yeah, do feel like, like when this is all said and done we need to type up a, a like a the life of frank yeah yeah <laughs> we need to create a small story of the life of frank exactly after this. yes yes <laughs> um we, re- we really do exactly um but no if you like what you listen to this episode uh don't forget Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, at Hoodoo Presents. Best way to get a hold of us. Best way to let us know what your lists are as of now. Um, yeah, yeah. And also, don't forget. Forgot what I was going to say. <laughs> <laughs> Completely <laughs> lost it. <laughs> don't, for, don't forget what I forgot. With that said, thank you for joining us. Again, this is Eric and Jordan, and until next time, let the credits roll.